Yo, what's good, y'all? This is Nappy Nina. You're listening to the Fly Fidelity podcast. My record, Morning Dew, is out now. Go check that out everywhere you can. I'll be coming to Europe, UK, very soon. So I'll see y'all in October. Peace. Details just ahead. Do you love credible content, but, but, but hate how long you have to wait? And who wants super thick and frothy dumpster juice with rat corpses in it? There's a better way. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly. Fly. Fly Fidelity. Fidelity. Fly Fidelity Podcast. Fly Fidelity, baby. Fidelity, baby. Fidelity. With your host, Luke Bailey. Welcome to the program. This week on Fly Fidelity, a conversation with Brooklyn-based Nappy Nina, in which we discuss her coming up in Oakland and the making of her latest album, Morning Dew. All of this and so much more on this episode. Enjoy the conversation. I probably just give in, been in prayer posture, been sitting in, been paying homage to my buried kin, protected by them, the heckling wind, I'm questioning ends, enjoy the broke, shit won't last on some quarter notes, I may laugh but I'm hoarding hope, been reading my homies horoscopes, I probably just give in, been in prayer posture, been sitting in, been paying homage to my buried kin, protected by them, heckling wind, I'm questioning ends, enjoy the broke, shit won't last on some quarter notes, I may laugh but I'm hoarding hope, been reading my homies horoscopes, I wanted to go back. I wanted to go back and talk about your journey from the top and talk about your evolution as an artist coming up in Oakland. Can you maybe share any turning points that helped establish your style and shape your identity in the beginning? Hmm, that's a big question, but I think um, when I think of Oakland and rap and my rap career in Oakland, I was in a group called the Newlyweds, which was led by my homie DJ N-Word, who was one of the first producers that I worked with in Oakland. And I feel like a turning point in my personal career was putting out a project with the newlyweds and seeing that people were ready to listen to what we we had to say. Because uh, previously, I thought it wasn't, I thought no one was wanted to hear what we were making. Um, so that was a big turning point for sure. And then just being able to, collaborate with a lot of different artists in Oakland who I had been looking up to forever. Um, Queen's Delight is one of those folks. And once I reached a level where I could start making really cool stuff with him, I felt really confident in my art. Going back even further, you've mentioned in the past being turned on to poetry early. What would yeah. have been that moment that turned your practice as a poet into your practice as a rapper? I don't know. I feel like they were always kind of intertwined. Even when I was writing poetry, I was listening to strictly hip hop, I would say. And my poems were a little more rhythmic than um, I think I was initially taught. 
So I think I don't I think it was a smooth transition. It wasn't anything that was like, oh, now I'm a rapper. You know, it was kind of just a smooth thing into here I would do here here's the thing that I'm doing next. I think really what made it easy was just becoming friends with so many people who were producing. Because before that I didn't really have any music to put what I was writing down to. Now if I said the words youth speaks workshops to you, what comes to mind first? Yeah, youth speaks, man, shout out to the speaks where it all kind of I got started. Um not that I got started, but where I saw the possibility of performance and the possibility of workshopping your pieces and community and having folks who are all sort of like-minded trying to write. Um, those are the first spaces that I found myself doing that in. So shout out to them. This idea of becoming an artist, at which point does that become a reality in a career for you? And how much of that drive comes from your dad as a journalist and radio host? Mm. When did that? I would say I, I had already lived in New York and I didn't really know what I was doing here. I was rapping, but not for anyone really besides myself. Um, and I think I was just here and my friends were kind of just like, what are you doing? You know, and I didn't. One of my friends who I reference all the time, Just Moni, who's on my last record, she was just like, you going to rap for real or what? And I got super <laughs> offended by the question. And I remember just like being upset. And I was like, why would you ask me that? Like, that's crazy. And then I really thought about it. And I was like, nah, but she has a point. <laughs> like, am I going to take this seriously as a career? And I think in that moment, I was like, oh, this is actually something I can do. I think I just needed somebody to confirm that for me. What was it that she pulled from you as an artist that you didn't see personally? Man, I think just the confidence level to like be an artist out loud and in the face of everyone else. You know, I could be an artist in my bedroom by myself and my close friends knowing forever and ever and ever. Um, but I think she was just kind of like, you should put your stuff out there because it's it's decent, you know, like yeah. other people are making stuff too and just putting it out there and it may not be in the same vein or as good as this and you should give it a shot. Um, she said it in a way harsher way, but that's what she was getting at, you know. Being from the Bay, you talked about the Bay earlier. Seeing that evolution personally from the artists who made the music and told their stories to the way, you know, expression has changed in the Bay and moved through cycles. Was there any Bay Area album or albums growing up that pushed your pen specifically during those formative years? Mm. That's a good question. Yeah, I think a lot of stuff that's pretty underground. Like um, there was this group, The Attic, who used to be in Oakland all the time and I used okay. to listen to their stuff nonstop. Um and there was just a lot of folks in the community who were making rap who like I didn't know if they were big on a larger scale. There was no like Instagram, Facebook or anything at the time, but to me they were like really big because they were doing the thing that I wanted to do myself. So I would say the attic, I would say Zumbi and Zion I, you know, nice. rest in peace. Um Hyro. I feel like I got into Hyro a little bit later. Um, those are which point? I feel like I was kind of already out of high school by the time I really, really listened to Hyro for real. Like, I feel like there's so many instances where my dad was trying to put me on hip hop that's legendary in Oakland, and I was just like, you know, like when somebody tries to put you on, especially like a, a older figure, a parent, or something. Sometimes right. you don't have to listen just for the sake of being difficult, and that was definitely me. You know? <laughs> 
do you regret that not being up on high row with your dad was not really high row but like there's some things where i'm like dang my dad definitely was trying to put me on and i just didn't listen <laughs> jazz was in that conversation wasn't it yeah jazz for sure talk about that that relationship getting into jazz via your dad how did that home and help develop your skills well you know like I, I talk about this all the time so if people are familiar with my music they know that I come from a lineage of my grandfather was a, a drummer jazz musician and he lived in France for 30 years and my dad who is his first son is a radio host and jazz lover and you know black american music lover and everything so i grew up with access to so much music that i probably was a little spoiled by it. you know i didn't really mm. or i took it for any um i took advantage of it i didn't really notice everything that was around me at the time you know i i was at the radio stations with my dad all the time and listening going to gigs all the time you know I was in jazz clubs when I was like barely old enough to sit at the bar so um I think that influence has seeped in me and I haven't been able to escape it but you know my dad is someone who you walk into his house and he has records everywhere everywhere like he has cds in kitchen cabinets you know so um there was no way that I could have escaped the music coming up growing up who were some of those artists being played in your household in my household, ah, that's a good question. I think, I mean, so, so many folks, like the classics, so many Miles Davis records, Charlie Park, like everybody. Um, but for me, the ones that I picked and stole from the my dad and mom's collection and took in my CD player were all hip hop, you know, like my mom had a Fuji's record that I stole, listened to nonstop. Um Queen Latifah, actually, Black Rain. My mom also had that record. So shout out to my mom. Because she those two records really were influential to me. Um, a lot of reggae, like Peter Tosh and Bob Marley projects. And um, I was really drawn to those. I feel like a little bit of everything here and there. And then my dad would get these records in the mail from companies and labels and stuff. And I would always take the hip hop ones. So I I listened to a lot of really underground, sometimes didn't even make it on the radio groups, you know? Very dope. Almost yeah. a genre cocktail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, fast forward into now, let's talk about this latest album, your most recent project, of course, Morning Dew, some of which you started writing and recording as far back as 2019 in Crown Heights. Mm -hmm. Speaking of the Bay, I'm curious as to how much navigating between Oakland and Brooklyn how much does that inform your experiences writing this project? And are you leaning into one place over the other with this project specifically in terms of direction? Mm. No, I feel like I don't see it that way. I feel like in my style, in Morning Dew, but also in other projects, you can hear both cities, um, which I make it a point to keep both. Like Oakland is my home forever yeah. and ever. You can never take that out of me. But Brooklyn also made me kind of the rapper who I am. So um, I feel like I have both influences in this record for sure. Um, I feel like the most Oakland track on the song features one of my homies who actually is from the Bay, from San Francisco, Omi the Homie, um, the song Pedals. And for me, it has a lot of Oakland bounce in it. So I can see that. <laughs> what was the starting point for this album? The starting point was just wanting to make something new. I feel like I was stuck 
Um, going over to Dane's own, who executive produced this record with me, going to his house, which is like a few blocks from my own house, uh, where the studio is, and just like wanting to make something. I think the first song that we made was Cope. And it's a really, you know, Cope is a really saddish song. Um, it's a really emotional song. So I feel like the space that I was in was just, I was pretty sad. <laughs> and I was, you know, thinking about mourning and all these things. And I didn't have the concept of the record yet. It was just a one-off. We didn't even know we were making a record, really. We were just making songs to make songs, you know. Um, and then kind of everything just built around that. I took breaks from this project, a lot of breaks, and made other things. You know, Double Down was made in between this and um, a lot of other things to distract me from the weight of Morning Dew, I think. But the starting point was definitely Cope, for sure. It's very much a foundational record for setting the pace for this album, isn't it? In terms mm -hmm. of the concept. Yeah, it is. What have you learned from making music to cope? And how does coping help you to make a song like Cope? Mm. <laughs> it's hard because with making, like I know that making good music, making music in general is good for me. It relieves stress. Like it helps me put things down that I normally wouldn't be able to. And just makes things that people can relate to because at the end of the day, we're going through a lot of the same things. But it's hard for it, for me to remember that in moments that I'm not doing it, you know? So I feel like when I'm forced to make something and then I'm like, feel a sense of relief, I have to remind myself that music did that for me. You know, it's hard to, mm. when I'm actually going through something, remember that I can take time out and like write something down and process it. It doesn't have to be a song. It can be a song. Um, but when it does help me to cope, I try really hard to remain present in that moment and remember that moment for future moments when I am looking for ways to help myself go through what I, with whatever I'm going through. So many of these songs, they, they do sound like they come from this place of terrifying your mind whilst, I guess, also opening up your heart simultaneously. Do you ever feel like your expectations of yourself and your intentions to communicate with audiences about these themes, do they ever overlap and compete with your own mental space? Mm. I don't think they do because I know this is a really cliche thing to say, but it's so true. Like these songs are for me, you know, um, these songs are not for, for people. They just happen to, like I just put them out because I I want to, but I make them for me. And even in the moment where I'm making a song and I'm like, this song is tight, like people are gonna really vibe to it. Lyrically, it's for me. <laughs> like a lot of my songs are just me processing things that I've been needing to process, you know? And yeah. um, I enjoy that other people like to listen to it. I enjoy making stuff that people are like, and I don't really know if I like this, you know, because at the end of the day, I love it or sometimes I hate it, but I needed to make it. Yeah. 
cope My favorite method be the smoke It's killing me though Tell me what is it my enemy Listen so long, so long If I did, what can go wrong? Sometimes I sip to trip and trance of chance Don't overstand my stance, cope my favorite method be the smoke, it's killing me though Tell me what is in my enemy, this is so long, so long If I did, what can go wrong? Sometimes I sip the trip and chance of chance To overstand my stance, cope My favorite method be the smoke, it's killing me though Tell me what is in my enemy, this is so long, so long If I did, what can go wrong? Sometimes I sip the trip and chance of chance To overstand my stance Yeah, well, I started this in 2019, which is before the pandemic, you know, um, and then that happened <laughs> and everyone was kind of at a standstill, not knowing what to do, having to be in our houses. A lot of mental health things came up for folks. And as someone who was already struggling with my mental health, you know, pretty much my whole life, it kind of just exacerbated things like put a a really really just like huge mirror to things and was like oh these are all the things you're going through you know um and people are going through in general so my own mental health and how it was affected with not being able to just live how we were used to living however hard and fast that may have been um my mom was sick during the time like with cancer for the second time she's in remission now clap it up but um there was a lot of personal things that I went through during that time that just I was sad about and I was in mourning and I was trying to relieve some of that that heaviness on my body and mm. therefore affecting people around me you know from interacting with me so was there a particular moment on this album that was most hard to write or rhyme for whatever reasons? Hmm. I don't know about hard, but I think a song that's actually not that lyrically heavy, but um, the song with Just Money Prayer Posture was really emotional for me to write, not only because of what I'm talking about on the song you know on the song I'm talking about paying homage to my the folks in front of me and like not I mean the folks in my past my ancestors and such um but also and not stressing on the material wealth of the moment and them kind of laughing at me that I'm stressed about that but that song features Just Money who I who I talked about earlier who is one of my longest friends and also was produced by Nelson Bandela um who's also right. one of my longest friends and collaborators in New York and I felt like for us three to be on a song it was really beautiful for me it was kind of the first time even though we've all known each other for 10 years that we've kind of made something together so just that fact and me knowing all three of us very deeply and the type of things that we all go through in our lives it, it just it felt really emotional to me even though I probably only wrote eight bars to that song you know What's the story behind Weeping Waltz with Cavalier? Weeping Waltz, Unjust, if you know him, you know, he produced 30 Bag, a whole EP with me. I have millions of beats by Unjust that I love. <laughs> Weeping Waltz was one of those that I've held on to for a long time. I was like, I have to have this. I have to have it. I have to have it. I don't know where it's going to fit, but I have to have it. And it's such an off, weird beat, you yeah. know, that... um. I didn't know how to rap to it for a long time. And I sent it to Cav because I've been trying to 
collaborated with Cavalier for years. He's one of my favorite rappers. Shout out to Private Stock. But when I sent it to Cav and he sent me his verse back, I was just blown away. I was kind of just like, I don't know how he rapped that. Like, I couldn't hear the pocket that he heard at all. I had to listen to his verse four or five times before I actually got it. Um, and then, yeah, I wrote my verse and really just wrote it about what I was going through that day, which was just like waking up extremely early all the time and being with my homies and all that type of stuff. And it turned out to be one of my favorite songs on the record. So I'm super thankful for Cavalier for doing that. Walk me through the kind of voices in your head when you're listening to a beat and considering writing a recording to that set beat. Mm. Well, if it's a beat that I love, it, it, immediately, like a lot of times rhythms will come to me and I'll kind of know where I want to fit on the beat. Other times there's beats that I love that I don't know how to get on at all and I can't hear it. And then in those instances, I kind of trick myself into thinking about a rapper that I love and how I think they would rap on it. And in that, I kind of find my own thing because I'm able to think mm. of someone else who's not me. But then it really is just me, you know, because I'm just trying right. to imitate something, but I can never really imitate it fully. So um, it's just kind of like a mind trick that I play on myself sometimes when I can't write um, to things. That's interesting. You've talked about how you're inspired by manipulating beats, whether that be how you choose to produce a beat or how you choose to flip a beat lyrically. Can you maybe share any insight into how the colors in these sonics manipulated your emotions and I guess amplified your narrative when you were writing these songs? Mm, yeah, I mean, for a song like Petals, you know, Petals is so bright <laughs> that it's like just colorfully a bright song. So much so that it made me a little uncomfortable because I feel like the rest of the project is really dark or kind of a neutral color. Um, so yeah, with a song like that, nine times out of 10, you want to go with the way it feels to you or the color it feels to you. Like it feels bright. Right. So I wanted to write about something that felt kind of bright to me, you know, which was just, that song is just like me, like being braggadocio rapping to rap, you know, but, but I feel like I needed that a lot. So I feel like nine times out of 10, the music really just dictates where the song is going to go. Like Cope, oh, yeah. the Cope beat is really pretty um ominous and a little sad itself so i feel like it kind of lends itself to what i wrote i've heard you say that there's two ways for the most part that you listen to music and that's either driving or listening through your headphones how much does whipping how much does whipping play a role in consuming the way you hear production when you're driving and listening to this, these instrumentals a lot man i miss listening to music in the car all the time because i don't drive in new york as much as I could or should or want to. But listening to music in the car changes everything. <laughs> I feel like right yeah. now I make a lot of headphone music um, and train music, which is cool. It's its own thing. But car music to me is irreplaceable because I grew up in such a car culture. Um, we were all driving by 15 and Mac Dre was huge and like, the hyphy mm. movement was huge when I had a car. So all those sounds just came at me in such a different way and with such different, when I think about those times, I have such like 
positive feelings about those times because I was always in the car with a lot of friends and a lot of homies and just listening to the newest shit from the Bay and all Bay music. You know, we didn't listen to anything besides like Bay Area hip hop at that time, which was just super hyphy influence, like Keek the Sneak, you know, the team, E-40, of course, and all those people. So yeah, I miss having a car. <laughs> Let's talk about whipping. How does whipping come about? What's the story behind that track? Whipping, me and Loji, J Words, we were all just hanging out one day in New York, and I happened to have my best friend slash manager's car, which is a really nice car. And we were just driving around New York. We weren't even planning to make any songs. We had come from an event, and J Words actually was the one like, we should make something, guys. Like, if you know J Words, she's always trying to make something. Um, and we, me and Loji were just like, uh, we don't really know. And she was like, come on, it'll be a dream come true. So she really forced our hand in that. Shout out to her because it ended up being really special. And I love Loji and I can't wait to collaborate with him again. Were there many tracks on this album that started off with a vibe like that and you didn't know the direction, didn't anticipate the direction at first and they kind of just like were born out of that experience? Yeah, I would say in general, that's kind of how I approach making music. I, I don't think that I come into making music or songs with themes. I'm not like, oh, I'm going to write about this today, you know. Right. Kind of just, it happens, whatever happens. What is it that J-Words pulls from you that's different from any other producer? J-Words, she's, she's very sure of herself, which I appreciate. Um, She has beats that she knows are great you know and she also has beats that she doesn't think are great that I think are great and she she lets me have them you know sometimes producers don't even they're like nah like I don't like this one you know but if that happens with me and Jay Word, she's like all right whatever you can still have it and that happened so many times um on our project Double Down there were beats that I chose even on on Morning Dew um the beat for Amen I believe either amen or smug one of them she was like eh like i don't really like it and then really i I believe it was amen or maybe yeah i think it was amen because uh me and masai jen had j words has sent the beat to both me and masai and i was like i want it and j words was like no masai took it and then months later, I was like, what's up with that beat? And then Jen was like, I don't really want that one. I don't really like it anymore. And I was like, I have to have it. I have to have it. I have to have it. So that's how incredible. That. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any specific memories from recording that song? Amen. That's a good question. Yeah, kind of. I remember Dane being like, He's such an engineer's engineer, producer's producer that he doesn't really listen to my raps when I'm rapping him. He's more listening to the sound, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember after recording, he was like, Oh, okay. Like you're on you're on something today. You're onto something today. <laughs> like that wasn't just regular, you know. Cause we'll have sessions where we'll just record and we we don't really talk about what we made immediately after. But that one was like Oh, okay okay <laughs> like he knew i was serious you know he knew you had one right 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 yeah <laughs> what can you tell me about making stone soup with more marvel stone, stone soup was probably the last song that we made on this record um my friend matt evans played the drums and sent them over and we chopped them up and it was super last minute and dane 
had a piano loop that he was just playing and I was like I love this I love this piano like please <laughs> please let me have this and we just chopped up some of the drums our Dane did that Matt played and that was kind of it like send it to more mother she sent it back and that was kind of it. It was just, I love that song. I probably play that song the most. I think the yeah. beat, the production is crazy. And I'm still in love with how the beat switches up, you know. Let me throw a dart, verbal stalk, high arc, Kerouac, a colored chart. I see horizons, throw back they violence. Black woman, equalizer of the nonsense. Yes, we was once all dreams, giving birth to light beams. Dark skin, Latifa, and Hakeem's. The blacker, the berry, the deeper, the portal. Flash you out of order, but in due time, BQF shift timelines. Non binary fluid line across the belly. Illuminati Machiavelli. In seven days, I appear so bomb early. Hell, Mary, you can't help me. I'm grown, I've been known to roam. Benny in the Jets, cold sweat in the Matrix. You hated a lover, you never above it. You hate to love it, you never above it. You never above it. Say with your chest out, think I left the bread out Shit just look stale now, bet you it's a still base Nothing like a home place, sipping on some soup Hope for the bone break, when I get back here Feeling like the wrong place I was really surprised to see that You had named one of the songs Yes, Yes, Yes Of course, that's one of your ad-libs <laughs> yeah. Where does that ad-lib come from? I don't think I've ever heard you speak about that That's a good question, I haven't ever spoken about that And um i stole the ad lib from a mentor of mine lauren whitehead um i saw her hosting a show when i was mad i was a teenager and she was this is at the time when everyone was like yeah 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 you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 like that was the ad lib i was how to get people's attention and i remember her just be like yes like with a hard s and i was like I don't know. It just stood out for me in that moment. And I was like, I'm taking that. I'm jacking that. It so. feels real West Coast. Yeah, word. <laughs> it feels real West Coast. <laughs> it is. It definitely is. I definitely put my West Coast thing on it. But now I, I can't escape it, you know. Do you have any favorite memories making this album? Hmm. I really enjoyed making Pedals. Um, Omi the Homie came to New York and came to my studio and we just hung out, which felt really good. It feels really good to be around people from home um, in New York. And another really good moment in this record, I think, hmm. I mean, there were a lot of good moments. I think there were a lot of moments with Dane, you know, this is our third record together and I'm sure we'll make stuff together in the future. But for me, it kind of felt like it was kind of a culmination of us working together because he he has moved to LA. Um, so there were so many moments where I was just looking at where we had come from making the tree act and kind of taking moments to 
be appreciative of like how far we've come and stuff. So I think making this record, there were so many moments where I was just like, okay, I think this is a thing. I don't know. We're going to throw all these songs together and see what happens. I'm not sure. And then when it was finally done and I could listen to it all the way through without cringing. And I was like, okay, cool. We made something cool. You know, what's next for you? I have an EP that I recorded with Swarvy that is done. Um, don't know when that's coming out yet, but that's that's next. That's on the that's on the next list. So and Swarvy's an amazing um producer and just musician in person. So I'm really excited for that one. I wish I could show my appreciation for this podcast. I wish I could respond to it somehow or be notified in the future when Fly Fidelity updates because it's so great. But I don't think there's a way I can do any of those things. Uh-oh. You're wrong. <laughs> Subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud and never miss an episode. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. My people thought you whipped me where you were!